our opening hymn, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder, is a spiritual composed by enslaved Africans in the United States. It's a song of perseverance. And Denise Levertov's poem gives us the image of a person trying to use a structure for much larger angels as an analogy for the effort of poetry. And I won't assume that you all have the source for Jacob's Ladder immediately at hand. I had to look it up again to make sure I was getting it right, because I don't want to tell the story wrong for you. But let's take the original image from the Bible, because it is so rich. It's a really good story. So Jacob has just stolen his brother's blessing and set out to find a wife from his mother's people, the way his father has told him. He theoretically has the blessing of protection from his father, but his brother also wants to kill him. He has the promise of a beautiful future, but he's also going to sleep tonight alone in the wilderness with a rock for a pillow. He's uncomfortable and vulnerable with no one to protect him, from the brother he betrayed or anyone else who might wish him harm. But he falls asleep anyway, and I think that in itself sounds like a miracle. Jacob dreams of a ladder set upon the earth reaching to heaven. Angels are going up and down the ladder, and then God is there beside Jacob, Not in heaven, but next to him on the earth. And God says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God tells Jacob that what his father blessed him would come to pass that all of the blessings of Abraham would flow through him to his descendants and that God would be with him every step of the way. And it's a very uncertain way at this point. Jacob wakes up before the night is over and he is afraid in the dark and he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. This is none other than Then the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob recognizes the ladder between heaven and earth, but he doesn't try to climb it. He only sees it during his dream, and he connects it to the physical place where he wakes up. But knowing it is there gives structure to his whole life. And it's the place he comes back to 
before daring to look his brother in the eye again after many years. It's a much longer story, I promise you, and I glossed over some of the parts that get important later on, including the promises that Jacob makes back to God. But this ladder connecting heaven and earth, visible only in this most vulnerable circumstance, this image endures. It inspires singers and poets and artists and people just trying to survive. So ladders are popping up everywhere for me these days. In songs and stories, poems and allegories, and even a book I read about classism within Unitarian Universalism, all full of ladders all of a sudden. And maybe I'm noticing them, and I've been thinking about ladders recently, not simply because I am moving again this summer, and I know I will see Louisville Ladder Company ladders everywhere I go as a weird reminder of home. I think it has something to do with St. Benedict's Ladder of Humility, in which the more humble a monk becomes, the closer he gets to God. And St. Benedict's 6th century humility, in which one monk won't even look into another's eyes, is maybe not so useful for us as we affirm each other's worth and dignity, but the idea of a humility that works for us is long overdue. And the idea of getting higher up that ladder is one we find all over the place. So how many of you still in the room have played shoots and ladders or snakes and ladders? It's pretty common. Yeah, I have to confess, I mostly grew up with Candyland instead, <laughs> which is a colors game instead of a numbers one, but also a game with a moving forward and being sent back mechanic, a game of all chance and no strategy. So this whole family of games, um, but especially Snakes and Ladders, came from an Indian game called Gyan Chopar. And I was surprised to learn that versions of Gyan Chopar have been played for thousands of years in India. It's mentioned in the Rig Veda, the oldest Hindu sacred text, which makes it at least 3,000 years old. Many of the religions and Dharma traditions with an origin or strong presence in India, including Hindu, Jain, Buddhist, and Muslim traditions, have used the game not only as entertainment, but as a game for teaching morals and virtues specific to their belief systems. And I'm going to talk a lot about the Jain version today, not because it's the oldest or because it's somehow better than the others, but simply because it's the most uniform. Hindu, Buddhist, and Muslim versions of Gyan Chopar vary significantly, even within each tradition. But the Jain version has the same virtues and vices and ladders and snakes in the same places throughout 2,500 years of gameplay. So... 
It's not a game of strategy, as you saw. Um, it's a game of karma. The player strives to advance to the final square, which represents moksha, liberation from samsara. Samsara being the cycles of rebirth and all of the suffering involved in living. The soul, and here I'm talking of the larger belief system, not simply gameplay, progresses and sometimes regresses on this path to liberation, hence the ladders and snakes in the game. So I know you're all dying to know what the virtues are in the Jane Gyan Chopper. So they are faith, reliability, generosity, knowledge, and asceticism. These are the ladders that will get you to a positive rebirth. There are only five of them. So you have to be pretty lucky to hit one of those among the 84 squares in the Jane game. The vices or evils that will slide you down a snake to a negative rebirth are disobedience, vanity, vulgarity, theft, lying, drunkenness, debt, murder, rage, greed, pride, and lust. There are more than twice as many evils ready to knock you back the ladders than to get you ahead. But maybe that balances against the slower incremental progress of regular movement. So what does this tell us? Everything is moving all the time. Choosing not to play is actually staying right where you are. We generate karma by trying to move forward, and it might get us a little further ahead, or occasionally a lot. And sometimes by trying to move forward, we actually go backwards. And it may take millions of tries, but we will reach liberation. Maybe that's why the first ladder is faith. It's a lot, right? There's a lot in this simple game. So how did we get from this teaching tool of faith and morality to a mass-produced amusement for three- and four-year-olds? Colonialism, cultural appropriation, capitalism, the usual, right? So India was a British colony, and the game made it back to England where it was altered to suit Victorian morals. The ladders stood on squares of penitence, kindness, pity, obedience, forgiveness, faith, truthfulness, and self-denial, which will bump you up 20 squares to finish the game immediately. The snake's heads rested on unpunctuality, <laughs> yeah, covetousness, vanity, frivolity, dishonesty, quarrelsomeness, depravity, cruelty, slander, anger, selfishness, pride, and avarice. So did any of those chafe for anybody else? I feel like unpunctuality and quarrelsomeness would rule out a lot of us from ever reaching 100. To say nothing of how we rest with the virtues in the Victorian version. These are the virtues and vices of the time prioritizing souls that are industrious, agreeable, and selfless. Eventually, the number of snakes and ladders became equal in the British version, 
reflecting that for every sin there is a chance at redemption. And then the virtues and vices were simply dropped as Victorian morality slid out of favor and India became a separate country. In the 20th century, after horrific wars and the winding down of the imperial age, the old morality no longer seemed to apply. So we get snakes and ladders that look like what we played today. Simply snakes and ladders and counting. So what about shoots and ladders, which I didn't quite grow up with? Well, Milton Bradley, and there really was a man named Milton Bradley, produced a version that was explicitly for children. The pictures are of children rather than adults, And you don't have to read to understand what you're playing. Instead of snakes, there are playground slides, because snakes are kind of scary. And it actually looks a lot more like kid-sized karma rather than the Victorian punishment and reward. The actions aren't named, but given cheerful pictures instead. Planting a garden leads up a ladder to a vase full of flowers. Rescuing a cat from a tree leads up a ladder to being friends with the cat. And I never said that Mr. Bradley knew anything about cats either. (laughs) You know, climbing up high to sneak cookies that were put out of reach leads down a slide to both cookies and child and broken cookie jar falling to the floor. Writing on the wall with a crayon slides you down to having to wash the crayon off the wall. Shoots and Ladders is marketed as the classic up-and-down game for preschoolers. And it never sat quite right with me, maybe because I was a stubborn kid and still am deep inside and thought that I was wiser than to eat a whole box of candy and make myself sick or to try to carry too many plates at once and wind up dropping them. I thought I should not face the consequences of these foolish actions that I only landed on by chance, not choice. And I wish that I could tell my preschool self that I still make these mistakes, regardless of my intentions, really, although it looks more like having one more cup of coffee than will make me feel good, or packing my plates badly when I move because I'm in a rush. It looks like all the times I should have taken a little more care. I think that's the moral system of shoots and ladders, the Milton Bradley version. We all need to be a little more careful, intentional, and forward-thinking. Sometimes the thing that didn't seem like a big deal at the time winds up having a big benefit or resulting in a big crash. And it's okay, because you can still get to 100 even after being sent back to the very beginning. Shoots and Ladders, Snakes and Ladders, Gyan Chopar, and the many other versions throughout history and culture, it's easy to get caught up in the ups and downs, but as we saw earlier, it's mostly lateral movement, progressing slowly toward 100, toward heaven, toward liberation. We look for the ladders, and sometimes we reach them, but either way, we keep moving forward. 
and to deliver on my title, what would shoots and ladders for universalists look like? And here I said universalists, not Unitarians, because I think the old school Unitarian version would look like having good character, maybe just an update of those Victorian morals we've already seen. Probably we would swap in makes good coffee and (laughs) thinks freely and subtract a few of the morals that make us itch. My real question is what would shoots and ladders look like for universalists? What does this game look like when heaven is not a goal but a given? Does it happen on a board at all? Or is this the board? Are we walking it right now without knowing it? I have one more ladder for you, another poem, this one by Kay Ryan. Carrying a ladder. We are always really carrying a ladder, but it's invisible. We only know something's the matter, something precious crashes, easy doors prove impassable, Or in the body, there's too much swing or off-center gravity. And in the mind, a drunken drunken capacity, access to out-of-range apples. As though one had a way to climb out of the damage and apology. That poem says so much to me. It's the lateral motion that's hanging us up. Not some game of up and down. It's bumping into each other here, even with the best of intentions. Not knowing where we went wrong, or at least not knowing until we've knocked our neighbor down. What if we could set the ladder down into the earth and aim it to heaven and work out some humility? The ladders become visible when, like Jacob, we are vulnerable. In my fanciful image, it gets interesting when more than one of us try this. Two people can prop ladders against each other, even when they're not sure where to aim. Three people can build a scaffold from their ladders. We can build bigger and bigger structures of humility And with enough of us and enough ingenuity, I bet we can even build ramps so we can all get up. I'm not talking about an afterlife heaven. As a 21st century Unitarian Universalist minister, it feels like afterlife heaven is actually not my job. My my concern is heaven here and now. Do all people have food, water, dignity, and love. As a universalist, I'm saying that unless we're all there together, it's not actually heaven. So how are we going to build those scaffolds of humility, the ramps to get everyone up, to freedom, to liberation? We take each other seriously. We listen to what our neighbors, and they are all neighbors, have to say in their own words, in their truest emotions. We stop presuming what other people need, 
Stop presuming that we are qualified to speak for someone who has not asked us to do so. We learn to see that we are all in this thing together. And until everyone's free, freedom doesn't exist. So we build our scaffolds the best we can, trying to find the right place for each ladder, letting go of which ladder is the longest, lightest, most important or best. We will fall. We will disagree, and we will come back together in a new configuration. It's a process, you see, and we all have a way in over and over again, and when every need is met and every person is loved, that is our heaven. We only win together.